You're listening to Thinker's What Works Podcast. I'm Jason Todd, here with my co-host, Alex Gary, And today, Sunil Puri, a successful real estate investor for over 30 years, will learn how he plans for the future, diversifies, and manages change. It's always a fascinating conversation. Okay. So today we are here with Sunil Puri. Sunil, you are one of the most prominent developers here, I think, in the Rockford area, uh, and expanding out into the region. And quite a fascinating story you have uh, in the in the number of years you've been in business. We're pretty excited to talk to you today, Sunil. Tell us, uh, tell us what's what has been maybe one of the f- most fascinating things that you've experienced in your business career. Well, uh, we started First Midwest Group uh, 33 years ago, so I'll be going into my 34th year. So it's been a while. I'm not that old though. Please. Uh, so, but you know, the, the 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 constant and most interesting thing is called change, and uh, change is uh, uh, all around us. Has been around us. Uh, I remember doing business over here. We did some in Southern California and Arizona way back when, uh, and then we went on to Madison. Uh, we were getting better rents here than in Madison, substantially better. Uh, in fact, we couldn't even, I remember doing certain deals, the same tenants were here as in, as in Madison and Grand Rapids, Michigan, and those markets are now 50% higher rents than here. Um, you know, we have some properties in Madison, and uh, with the grace of God, we haven't had a single vacancy over there, and obviously things have changed. It's also about leadership. It's also about vision. It's... Uh, um, it's more importantly, I think, having a focused long-term strategy. Uh, we have spent a lot of time in this community, unfortunately, chasing uh, silly ideas and and stupid ideas and getting away from our knitting, uh, whether it was three years that the community was uh, paralyzed by Embry-Riddle, uh, the last two years by Gorman and his hotel. Uh, while those things on their own are okay, uh, we just cannot paralyze and quit moving forward. The world is on fire. Madison's got 2.9% unemployment. Uh, but where are we? So, so strategy. You talk about long-term strategy. How? What, what do you? What do you believe are the characteristics of crafting that long-term strategy? How do you craft a long-term strategy? Stay focused and focus on your strengths. Uh, there's five things you're good at and 500 you're not. Try not to make that 500 into 495. Try to focus on the five that you're good at. And we are good at, we have good people, hardworking people, smart people, willing to give you an honest day's work for its pay. We have a great location. We have an incredible asset called the airport, especially. I mean, you're talking Amazon world. Well, what do you think goods are moving from? They're moving with transportation. Transportation is our strength. We have seven national highways within a half an hour drive of Rockford. We have an airport like none other. Just two weeks ago, we read about how they have increased the uh, freight charges uh, in at O'Hare by 30%. Well, what does that do for us? Puts us even in a better position. So that's an incredible asset. Does Rosemont have an airport? No. Does Schaumburg have an airport? No. Who else can have an airport with 5,000 acres ready to go today? And so we have some strengths, i.e., I think, our highway system, 
even our rail system with Rochelle's hub, and of course our airport. And let's focus on things that we're good at than trying to be little of everything. Well, that was one of the points of when we brought you in, I wanted to talk about was the changing nature of commercial property in that those big box stores, which you brought in several of them over the years, a lot of those retail chains are are dying or closing down stores because of Amazon. But you see, because of logistics, we're we're a logistics hub, that this actually could be a good thing for us because we have lots of sales tax revenue that's at risk. There's a silver lining everywhere. Um, For the sales tax that we're going to lose, we're losing that because we don't have disposable income. We don't have jobs that people can actually go out and spend with. Uh, So these stores are not closing down everywhere. Many of them are closing down here because... Uh, if you look, our real income is down. Inflation-adjusted income is down. People are working two and a half jobs to be able to, you know, serve a family. I was at a restaurant where, uh, you know, there's a fellow 45 years old who was a waiter, and I obviously knew him from somewhere and asked him. And this is his second part-time job, two part-time jobs and a full-time job, just to equate the $75,000 he used to make in the job he lost before the recession. We've not replaced those jobs, and that continues to go on. Even if he has the same income, he frankly doesn't have any time to go spend that money because he's working so much. That's impacting our families. That's impacting schools. That's impacting crime on the street. Uh, Ultimately, it's those jobs and jobs, and those are, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record, it's not $12 an hour hotel jobs. Uh, It is real core jobs that we can spend our dollars on. We can use and leverage the assets like the aerospace industry over here, like transportation, like, and more important, most importantly, I think the airport. That's one area that there is nobody within 100 miles of us that has the land to expand. And, I mean, where else do we have? There are two areas that are growth. One is the Amazon and transportation. The second one is aging. We happen to have three hospitals. What are we doing about, besides just competing with each other and just, if we had taken the billion dollars that they have spent in the last 10 years between updating hospitals and building new hospitals and just put it into what I call the Mayo model, where one hospital is the best children's hospital, the next one's the best, best heart hospital, we would actually, instead of dividing that pie in smaller and smaller pieces, we could have expanded that pie and bought people from here. There wouldn't be hospitals on Randall Road and and hospitals you know, that are growing down from Madison to Janesville to Beloit if we had done our job. This, this is a talk that Joel Cowan used to have. Joel's was a demographer for the University of Illinois College of Medicine, and he actually did studies that showed we are a net loser in healthcare because the hospital systems compete with each other. Therefore, they're not great at anything. So when you actually have need for a great hospital, you go to Madison or you go to Chicago. And I'm probably going to get clobbered by some of my clients who happen to be hospitals. We do some clinics for them. But, but, you know, we've... Each one's had an ego large enough to apply for statehood. You know, I got to be the best at everything. You know, it's it, we can't. And and so so moving on to your listener, uh, try to be focused. 
if there is a secret that I can say, people who say diversify for the sake of diversifying are obviously not very good at what they're doing, don't have confidence in continuing to do what they do well, or are simply bored and just need something else to do. I think it's all about focus. It's getting up earlier. It is working harder, doing your homework, and walking in prepared. Uh, we have a generation, including some of which I have adopted, our new generation, which is so unfocused because they are multitasking. They are doing six things at one time. They never start and finish any one thing. <laughs> An essay type answer is, uh, you know, everything is multiple choice. Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, move on, yes, no, yes, no. And somehow we find it uh, to be, um, you know, somehow uh, less than normal if we take time to think through and provide an answer. I believe most of the things that we've been successful at have been those that have been thought through. Well, one of the reasons, one of the things, uh, we have a curriculum that uh, Jason teaches here, and one of the points that he talks about is, what is an opportunity versus a distraction? When I look at your business, you're primarily a real estate company, but you've branched off into uh, self-storage, two hotels, uh, two restaurants. I thought there were more restaurants, but just two that I saw listed on your site, Uh, Rockford Apartments, which is rentals. Uh, You bought a retirement home. And you've got an amusement park. How do you decide? I'm sure you've been pitched lots and lots and lots more deals than that. How did? How do you decide what's an opportunity versus a distraction? Well, anybody and everybody would want your money. So there's lots of opportunities for that. I guess the distinguishing feature is whether I can add any more value outside of just a check that they can get from anywhere. Money is green. Um, we've tried to remain focused on two things. One is our expertise in understanding real estate and people's habits that relate to real estate. What is hotel? It's real estate. Road Ranger. We started Road Ranger. That was all about real estate. Um, and second is our ability to provide organizational strength. Businesses that, you know, we have five attorneys in-house, we have four CPAs. Uh, so we have a platform. There are many businesses that could go much further if they didn't stumble or spend all their time and resources just doing those basic things. Um, Sienna is a retirement facility. It's also real estate. We're about to talk about some expansions and some things related to that business, but that comes naturally. We have land, land is needed. People are aging, they're gonna need a place to live. People are gonna need a place to live at a substantially different price point than Sienna is. And the reason for that is the average retiree, believe it or not, in the nation is retiring with $28,000. So what are we gonna do with these wonderful people? These are the people who built America. They are the people who built our highway system, our electric grid system, fought the wars that allow us the freedom to even sit here and talk freely. And we're gonna warehouse them. And so we need to come up as a nation, and I had the privilege last weekend to be in Martha's Vineyard with 24 Democratic senators, and this was the primary thing I talked about was, you know, what are we going to do with this crisis that just because they're not screaming in our faces right now, what are we going to do with it? It's bigger than medical because it goes right hand in hand with them. Um, the average person is already, every single year, we extended the average life expectancy by one-third of a year. So in 10 years' time, the average person will have lived three more years. 
will be expected to live three more years. So that's an example of you keeping an eye on the future, understanding how an aging generation and understanding how much money they have and therefore what they'll be able to afford and then opening or investing in opportunities that will serve a community that we don't yet have. It's it's looking off into the future with that vision, right? Well, it's unfortunately a embarrassing uh, secret. We have those people. They can't get out of their homes because of the housing crisis. Some of them owe more than they actually have borrowed on their homes because they had to make it through the last crisis. Uh, so those people, uh, yes, we're trying to stay ahead of the game, but one has to be realistic. This is, uh, I'm not saying it's a not-for-profit venture, but, uh, but our goal is how do we keep you in a reasonable environment uh, for twelve and $1,300 a month where it's all taken care of versus moving into a facility that's $2,500 a month? And how do we do that and treat you with dignity and respect so you are going to be independent and healthier longer? because of science, and we will keep you in an independent situation so you can save the dollars you'd be spending earlier in retirement for those latter years. And I'm hoping government policy understands this. 10,000 people are turning 65 every single day. That means 3,000 people per year are turning 65 in Winnebago and Boone counties. And we have not built anything to take care of them. And these are good people. These are good Americans. These are people who made America great. And this is not some slogan. This is the people who fought the Korean War and the Vietnam War and went and gave, many of them are even at the age where they were in the first Iraq War. And we need to do everything we can to enjoy the freedoms we have thanks to their sacrifices. One of your strengths is numbers, right? You've already talked about several. Uh, one of my favorite stories, because uh, I've known you for... 17 years? I think 17 years. One of my favorite stories is the actual uh, housing crisis. Because uh, before 2007, in terms of residential real estate, who developed more homes than you? Yeah, we did about 750 lots a year. Okay. And, uh, and uh, developed over 10,000 lots. Right. So how did you, you know, and, and a lot of your competitors, I'd say, almost all of your competitors were wiped out by that recession. So how did you see that coming? I, uh, we always have competitors and I wish everyone the best, but in fact, this was information that we did research on with Tracy Cross and Associates, which is a big company uh, out of Schaumburg, and they were experts at this and they did a study for us and I believe it was 2006 and early 2007. And, um, uh, you know, the euphoria was, I mean, they only land that developers didn't own had not been for sale. I mean, they tried to grab everything that was for sale. And uh, I'm a basic bean counter accounting degree from Rockford University. And uh, my philosophy was, yes, we are selling at the ultimate peak. We had been in business many years even then. And what I needed to understand was why were people coming here? We were in this market selling about 1,800 homes a year and Winnebago, Boone, and Ogle County. And by the way, last year we sold less than 100 uh, new homes that were built in this area. So even 10 years later, we haven't even gotten to 5% hardly of what we used to do. But my perspective was, why are we doing this? And what we were able to determine with the study was very simply that while from 2000 to 2006, wages had grown by 17.5% 
and home prices had grown by almost 51%, three times as much. So how long is the scenic drive from Chicago, who was basically those were Chicago suburbanites who were coming here, how long before that drive and the oil prices are going to make it not as reasonable for them to come this far? Ultimately, your home mortgage is a percentage of your income. If your home price and mortgage grows three times as much as your regular ordinary income did, uh, at some point of time, this is going to crash. And of course, we were also seeing some speculation, but I well, was a told fool me, then. You had, you had told me that you were driving in a um, neighborhood in McChesney Park, which mm-hmm. is north of Rockford, mm-hmm. and you noticed uh, people were using sheets for curtains. Yes, they were house poor, and you know they, they had borrowed every nickel they could, and I don't know who qualified them for their mortgages. And yes, I saw... There were no drapes. There were bed sheets in the, in the front big bay window. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, a telltale sign of what was about to happen. And I remember also, more importantly at that time, there were some farms available for as much as 50,000 an acre up there on McChesney Park on 173. And I had to sit there and say, you know, I had 11 years inventory. So what I was trying to buy, if everything went the same, I had enough to be able to sell at that pace and no tree grows to the sky. You know, it may grow. And I said, now I'm buying the 12th year's inventory. So if I'm buying this at 55,000 an acre, by the time I develop this, just for carrying carrying cost of interest, it'll be 110,000. And what's the lot going to be at that point? And why would people drive? And it's not like there aren't enough farms between here and Chicago. So some of this is logical common sense. We also saw that coming, uh, in my opinion. You know, we haven't built a shopping center except for little strip centers, which are 10, 15,000 square feet, since we built the one in McChesney Park, McChesney Crossings. And that was in 2006, early 2007. That's when we incorporated a company called the Two Acre Development Company. Everybody laughed at me. And I said, uh, you know, so they said, what do you mean by two acres? I said, all we're going to do is what's going to fit on two acres. And they said, what do you mean by that? And I said, I said the one thing that's for sure is we have 400,000 people in these two counties, and those people are going to be here. And Amazon at that time was not that big a deal. And, you know, very simply, you're not going to get your nails done on Amazon. You know, you're not going to go to a restaurant on Amazon. You know, and you're not going to get your physical therapy done on Amazon, your dental done on Amazon. And our goal was... You know, what kind of services that are not going to get wiped out? You know, especially if a pair of shoes, a Nike pair of shoes can be built by Dick Sporting Goods and MC Sports and it's the same size and I can get it on the Internet and send it back. Um, you know, I was going to Harvard Business School at the time and there was a case study that led me to this whole thinking process. And we just said, you know, it's just too much risk because the first tenant is a wonderful tenant. But when they leave and you have to borrow money again to put the second one in, it's hard. McChesney Park Crossings is a perfect example of it. You know, we went and we have had three tenants in eight years in the same space. Try changing those lights three times. You can never make money doing that. Which one? Um, that was the one where we had Hancock Fabrics. And oh, before yeah. that we had, and right now we have Route 21, and before that was something else. And, and Route 21's on this list of... Uh, yeah. But that one, that store is staying open, at least for right now, mm-hmm. and we'll see. But they've you know reduced their stores by 50%. But we have some good news at that shopping center. While most of 173 is suffering, we got uh, TJ Maxx to agree that Ross could go there. And so Ross you know, is going there. So they'll have 
Ulta, Ross, TJ Maxx, you know, those are the ultimate of the women's soft, you know, goods center that will be there. But, you know, those days are, are tough. They're numbered. So one of the fascinating things I'm hearing from you, you, you use a lot of numbers. You reference a lot of numbers. You're clearly very uh, well-studied, well-read. And you're using those numbers in your decision-making processes. It, some, it sounds to me like you'd sometimes make a real hard gut decision against maybe uh, what people around you might might think is the best decision because you believe in not only the hard numbers, but you also pair that with people's habits, how they're already interacting with your, in this case, real estate. So not your, your existing customers, how they interact with your, your goods and services, how, how future customers are going to interact with your goods and services, and what the competitive landscape is. And you're using real hard data, not just kind of shooting in the breeze. Because let's go back to the the talk about the housing crisis, the, you know, getting out of development. You you talked about we saw it coming, yet the stories you and I have talked about, your own staff wanted you to keep buying. How did that – tell me that story. It's hard to motivate my staff even now when I'm seeing a recession coming in 18 months. Who wants to hang out with a loser or who's a negative guy? The glass is half empty. You know, I my philosophy is my glass is not empty. I just get a smaller glass and fill it up. You know, so it's not a 12-ounce glass that has got six ounces. I just get a six-ounce glass and I stay positive within the negativity. Um, yes, it was very hard. It was exceptionally hard then and now uh, to keep people motivated. But I shared that study, by the way, with all my competitors in Rockford and the home builders who were also becoming my competitors and, and building uh, subdivisions without naming names. And I took the study. I made copies of it. It cost me extra money, 100 bucks a copy. It was a big study. That I, but I gave it to them and I said, listen, you're my friends. I want to be want you to be my customers. Please listen to this. And uh, um, I'm sorry to say not one did. And, uh, you know, they just thought I was uh, not being altruistic, but I was somehow connivingly convincing them to get out of the business and leave it for me. And and my philosophy, and it wasn't, uh, the residential was never more than 15, 20% of a business, even at the peak. Uh, so my goal was just to, you know, it was a nice part of a business to keep it going. And we didn't do any homes. We just built subdivisions and sold lots to builders. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you an example today of something. You know, uh, the, the government invented something called GPS for, for certain purposes. You know, GPS was created for military purposes. Some smart guy decided that they would use it for other purposes. Well, guess what? A medallion, a taxi medallion, to the right to be able to drive a taxi in New York City was a million and sixty thousand dollars at its peak. Today, you can buy a medallion for around $350,000. Lots of families got wiped out. Many banks that used to lend money against these taxi medallions got wiped out. Same thing in Chicago, used to be 350000 for the right to drive a taxi, to get the license to drive one. It's down to 60000 Now, why was the taxi driver important? The taxi driver was really important because they knew what roads to take. They were familiar with the area. They knew what time, which school let out, so which way to not go, etc. And that was the privilege why we paid a premium on a taxi. Well, today that just simply got replaced by a thing called GPS. It tells you real time which way to go, which way not to go. It doesn't need to worry about which street to remember or not remember. You just put it in. So technology is changing a lot of things. So guess what? And I was just saying this to a realtor the other day, and he's a good guy. And I'm like, listen. You're getting paid 7%. Why? Because you have local knowledge. Well, what did technology do to the taxi driver? Gave him local knowledge. 
Technology is going to give somebody else local knowledge besides millenniums don't even want to own anything. You know, they've seen what it did to their parents in the last recession. So not only are you not going to have that uniqueness with Zillow or improved Zillow or whatever it is with local knowledge, but more importantly than even that, <laughs> you know, you used to have this quote-unquote, you know, the, the blue-haired, you know, the, the realty, real estate people know which school to send you to. That's all on the internet. It's all available. So yes, I may pay you 1%, but why am I going to pay you 7 So if you see that coming, a freight train's coming and you don't want to get on the side and, and do something different, then it's a problem. And so we're seeing that happening. So service businesses of that nature are going to get wiped out, in my opinion. Um, you know, you talk about a self-driving car. Senator uh, Gary Peters just told us uh, yesterday, I was in Martha's Vineyard, he said uh, Ford has announced and actually the, the senators and the federal government is going to come out with uh, some new policies that you know, trial lawyers are not going to like. Uh, but they have real-life testing of, um, or, you know, of, of uh, uh, cars that are self-driven cars that are going to be allowed on highways. They need three years of, uh, of testing to go through it, and they're going to give them some exemptions. Um, they are going to come up with a whole series of policies about how cars are going to be insured by themselves uh, rather than the other way around. So, so now think about this. In 2021, only four years from now, uh, Ford is going to be announcing that they're going to have it on a regular assembly line. They think GM is even ahead of that. But let's say they're off by 10 years. So say 10 years from now. So what happens with cars? Okay. Um, what happens with a parking lot like Myers? It's got 1,500 cars of parking. If a car is going to drop me off and pick me up, guess what? I don't need 1,500 cars of parking. I'm not leaving it there. I come down in this car and I get picked up by the next car. What happens with my Starbucks? Is a self-driven car coming from the left side or the right side? Which way is the drive-through? Well, guess what? There are 330,000 parking spaces in downtown Chicago. If I don't need to park a car, I'm just going to be driven wherever I need to. What am I going to do with all those parking garages? Okay. Well, what happens? What is a self-driven car? It's a whole bunch of... Uh, computers and cameras telling you which way sensors it cuts down accidents by 93 percent well that's a million and a half people in jobs that fix cars well guess what else happens <laughs> drivers are taken out truck drivers are taken out that was one i saw a video about that scary the, the largest employer in the country is moving a product from a to z okay and so it's going to become automated At, except for the last three miles which is when you may need somebody to drive you within the, from the depot at I-90 to within the city, uh, you know, point A to point B is going to be automated. So all of these things are, are a fear, but at the same time, one has to look at the positive side of it. They displaced almost 300 people when they went to robotics at the Chrysler plant in the paint shop, Okay. A robot doesn't care about the fumes and doesn't care about the heat and doesn't take vacations and, frankly, doesn't need Obamacare. Uh, it's a robot. Okay, well, guess what? If artificial intelligence is going to grow at that level, you know, what's going to happen? I'm in the Midwest. Good place to be. Why? Because 70% of our economy is consumption. 70% of that consumption is imported goods. 
that's almost 50% of our consumed of our of our spending if robotics is going to ex- improve to that point why is it going to be any more expensive to have an american robot than a chinese robot why can't we manufacture that all here 35% of imported goods is the cost of distribution and import transportation if i'm in the midwest isn't it 35% cheaper for me to be able to distribute it out of here i don't need to go to either coast so there could be a resurgence of manufacturing right here in the midwest and it would be assisted by robotics uh it's not going to be the same old job so we're not going to be fixing cars we're not going to be necessarily driving cars we may not be selling any insurance to drivers i mean i don't know what happens to the state farm guy um he's going to have to evolve because i'm not buying personal insurance the cars coming with product liability insurance the car self driven it's not me so you're clearly well well read on on a variety of topics and you always tie it back to uh, and I, I go to your your previous statement about autonomous cars you're tying it back to real estate and what's happening with with parking lots and how people are going to interact and what happens with a drive through so if you build a facility how are you going to build that facility so that you don't have to maybe rebuild the facility in a matter of 5 to 7 years well go go look at the little starbucks we're building in laws park in front of the kmart it's been put in a situation where we could have drive throughs in either direction and both sides of the building and i'm not saying i'm perfect by any means you know far from it uh, you know ask my kids they'll tell you uh but it, it, i mean you got to be blind not to see this coming at you and not at least try to evade it to some degree uh, we're thinking about it i've been talking to architect friends of mine in chicago to say okay all these unfortunately when you think about all these parking garages and i have a condo downtown um yeah they have posts that are too close you can't just open it up and make it into an apartment they don't have the ceiling height so a friend of mine we were talking about and we were saying okay we don't have the ceiling height because the cars they you know if you've seen they put that little stump where you can't get a car in which is more than 6 foot 6 inches so guess what the one other thing with cars is you don't have to have uh, where the parking garages are you just bust up and make it into duplexes take two levels and go up rather than go sideways because you have too many posts so you so th- there's always america is the greatest country for innovation you know i i'm looking forward to seeing my dear friend uh, anil who went to rockford university with me and and uh, anil know, aurora yeah well, mm-hmm. all right don't announce his name uh, anyway <laughs> what's the name uh, of the company he's yeah, yeah, i'm not talking about uh, anyway i'm <laughs> i'm going to be spending some time in silicon valley with him we grew up together and i've got you know talk about cloud computing you know i mean i was talking to the senators okay so we're going to have self driven cars well guess what they're not going to carry enough computing power on the car it's going to be in the cloud well if they can hack the dnc's emails what happens tomorrow if we don't have enough security to hack a cloud can they shut down all our transportation system so you know you could go crazy thinking ahead and ahead and ahead but it's important to at least when it comes to real estate for me to understand what's going to happen with how people are going to buy homes retail real estate versus apartments people who are not going to make permanent what's going to happen with hotels and airbnb you know is our millennials do they even care you know my thought process is hey if you have a hotel on i90 airbnb will impact you when you're wanting to go on a vacation and you want to pick a place or you want to be downtown or whatever but on the highway on a icy stormy day you know people are going to want to pull off and go in a hotel anyway well guess what 
You know, is that person even driving? Does he even get exhausted? He's got a self-driven car. It could keep going on for another eight hours. You know, so, I mean, these are things that you have to think about when you're taking a 30-year mortgage. You can't be thinking in three-year terms. You know, you are putting your kids at risk and you're putting the next generation that has to pay these dollars back. So you have to think ahead at least 10, 15 years. Has, has there, have you always thought this way? Have you always thought this, this uh, idea of future think or, if, or is there, or is there a shift in your mindset at some point in time in your development? There are much smarter guys who think much more in the future, but you started off the conversation by saying, you know, You've, you've been along this long and, you know, what was the cause for your success is exactly being flexible. Uh, that's the first thing I told you. Evolving, I told you. And that's what Rockford College taught me. It taught me, you know, I got a liberal arts degree. It didn't make me an engineer. It didn't make me just an accountant. It allowed me to think so I can hire the right engineers and hire the accountants and do those kind of things. Uh, Yes, it's always, we've always, 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 uh, it's not about what's in front of me. It's what I have to avoid that's coming at me. And, um, and I think today technology, um, you know, is, is, is exciting. I just have to make sure that it doesn't run me over. I don't want to be the last buggy wet maker, but I can tell you. In retail real estate, you know, we took the Kmart, we're turning into self-storage. You know, why? Because people don't want big places. They may have things they may want to store for nostalgia or whatever, but even that's going to be a dying industry. So what happens when I don't need three cars? I need one car. I can just have be self-driven. Everybody who's got a three-car garage just created a thousand square feet of self-storage in his garage. So self-storage may not be around. So we got to be careful about that. So my job is to think ahead of these things and to come up with something, you know, so we test it, we're testing self-storage, it's gonna do okay, but I don't think it's got long-term future. Why? Because one, millenniums don't wanna save anything. They don't want grandma's Betsy's couch. They wanna keep anything. Second, there's gonna be enough homes that are the, the, the big box homes, they're gonna have enough storage facilities available in them that you're not gonna need these massive facilities. Now, I'm sure there's a counter argument to everything I make, but my job is to just keep on drawing at it and keep getting the smartest guys or kids, the young people that think completely out of the box. You know, so Chandon's answer is, my son, he's like, okay, so you got, you know, what self-driving cars? Well, the average distance between cars on a highway is 80 feet. You know, safe distance. Guess when you're self-driving? It could be 12 feet. Well, guess what? You can have six times as many cars on the same on the same pavement on a highway. You don't need to widen the roads. There's another five million jobs. Okay? If your tires are balanced because the car is telling you that, your tires are not wearing out and neither is the pavement. So, I mean, so where does this end? I don't know, but I have to keep my mind open to these things. So you've made decisions throughout the years. Sometimes they're... they're uh, challenging because you said no, it challenges yourself and maybe others. And, and sometimes they're challenging because you said yes and tried something new when, when uh, it was a challenge maybe for yourself or maybe for others. How do you find the strength or where did that strength come from to be able to, to, be able to make the challenging decision? Well, a great assist on any decision is the people you're with. Good people can make the worst possible scenario tolerable and bad people can make the best situation, most well-thought-out situation, impossible. So it's your people. It's whether people are willing to stand by you and work your way through 
and I think I owe all my success to those people, uh, whether it was just buying Sienna recently, um, whether it's going into multifamily, whether we are going into medical marijuana, um, you know, all of these things have been very, very important with the people that you surround yourself with. And good people that you respect will challenge you, but will also support you once the decision is made. I'd like to go back a step further. I mean, people don't know your background as well as I do, but you didn't come to uh, America having never seen business operate. Your father, talk a little bit about your father because of his business background and how he made decisions and how has that affected how you've made decisions? Well, my father was a businessman back in Bombay, India, and uh, he built his business from nothing. Uh, He was completely illiterate, but was, again, someone who, um, how would I say it, uh, was a good judge of character and people and surrounded himself with good people. And uh, his favorite line was nobody ever, he never misjudged or got cheated because he could tell, he could truly tell people and their motives. And uh, unfortunately, he said he never went the wrong direction till the fragility of the love for his children allowed him to get his his vision and his decision-making clouded. Um, but you grew up watching that. You, well, go, you grew up him. watching him make those deals. I watched him make those deals. I came here, as you know, with not much and cleaned bedpans, worked my way through college. But, I mean, ultimately, there is no, you know, you either increase revenues or you decrease expenses. You know, we don't print money like the federal government. So, I mean, that's the only way I know how to make money is you either raise your revenues or decrease expenses. And you got to think in any business, not for the quarter, not for the month, but long term. You know, are you going to be in business 10 years from now? And you need to be able to watch that. I'm telling you, retail real estate won't be around. Okay. Or will be very, very different than where we are. And we've been saying that since 2000. We have not built a single building over 20,000 square feet for the last 11 years. Yes, there was a recession, but we built plenty of stuff, but small. Um, On the real estate side, um, Rockford as a local market could probably use a hotel. uh, But overall, that's not a winning combination either. Okay. Uh, Where is it? You know, you got to be crazy to think that people are not going to get old. You're going to be crazy to think that you're not going to house them longer. You're going to be crazy to think that medical science is not going to need more medicine. Now, how do we? How do you deliver that at a reasonable price that is affordable? Um, those are where the challenges are. As a nation, we spend more on medicine than the entire GDP of France and many countries smaller than that. We can't continue to do that. And we're going to have more people wanting that same pie cut up differently. So, so staying ahead of that, okay, we are going to be using artificial intelligence, which takes, you guys know more about technology than I do, but lots and lots of storage space. So where is the future going to be? Cloud. Cloud can be anywhere. It could be housed in India, for heaven's sake. Where's the best place to be able to house all these billions and billions of gigabytes of all the stuff that you're talking about? So that's an obvious thing. So let's pick the five things that are obvious, then focus on the 495 that I don't know much about and 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 try to remain focused and try to achieve something. You know, there's a paralysis of just reading too much. 
because you your mind is going in 10 different directions so we try to bring all this back down and hone it down to our limited business and in our market and we're very proud to say we are from Rockford and we'll continue to have a business here and we're diversifying in other places but that's not because we just need to diversify because that to me is a losing combination stay focused so you talk about that you owe your lot of, a lot of your success to your team what do you say to an individual who's just starting out? They don't really have a team. I mean, you've got a big team. You've got a lot of advisors. You can you 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 mentioned you met with senators. You know people in big places. What do you what do you say to a person just starting out? Hey, because uh, they're gonna they're come they're coming at it thinking, man, I'm all alone, right? I'm alone on an island. It's just me. I got to make it all up. How, how do they go about? What would you tell them about, go about developing their team? You know, when I started my business, I had a partner in Richard Swanson, and when we separated many, many, 30 years ago, um, I was all alone, and I know what that feels like. I lost Dan Arnold, my partner in Road Ranger, a year and a half ago, and I miss him every day, and I think about it because we bounce things off. you got to find people that you can bounce things off of. It's not always a partner, but I, I completely understand what you're saying. It's pretty lonely at the top, and it's very lonely when you're starting off and you're alone and you have payroll and all those things. So you talk to people, you try to learn to listen. You know, there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth and uh, you know, listen twice as much. Um, I think there are wonderful, wonderful people who will help you. you know, not everybody's got the time, but people love to talk. And if you'd only reach out to them, they will. Um, I believe uh, being humble, staying focused, focusing on limited things, achieving results that are deliverable, that people can see, that build you credibility, versus always talking pie in the sky. I mean, the biggest thing that completely drives me nuts is when I can't understand something on a page. My philosophy, and he said, how did you take these risks? You know, and that's a Warren Buffett quote, and which is, you know, heads are like to win big, tails are like to lose a little. So we're always looking at it. So today... If you had to bet, and I had to ask Ashwin, my son, this, I said, Ashwin, five years from now, do you think we're going to continue to grow or we'll hit a recession? He said, uh, you yeah, know, Papa, I think uh, there's a 90% chance we're going to hit a recession. We've been in a growth expansion for seven years. You know, average expansion is less than five. So I said, if you have chances of 90% that you're going to hit a recession, why would you continue to not be conservative and save your dry powder if there's a 90-10 chance? Was that an odds that you would take? But we never were too busy being tactical and just putting out the fires of today and filling the order for today than really working on a business. We are so busy working in a business that we just simply don't want to think. You know, so if you're a small businessman, think also of your client. Is he going to be here five years from now? If you have two clients to pick from and you only can deliver to one, pick the one that you think is going to be there to support you over five years, that they're going to make it through. So don't put all your eggs in the guy that's also just barely making it. That's excellent advice. Well, Sunil, Alex, you guys have known each other for some time. I am happy, uh, thrilled, in fact, to talk to both of you guys today uh, as we reviewed. Can I, can I do one little funny closing story? Yeah. Um, Sunil has oh, on his wall. Go. Sunil <laughs> has on his wall, and and we've redone it a couple times. Uh, a monopoly board, which we re. I had a friend of mine redo and called Sunopoly. You know, okay. we changed we changed the properties 
um, to, to reflect what he owns. And where that came about was when, when Sunil was going through his divorce, it was the same time I was going through mine. So we were having dinner together quite a bit. And I was driving. Uh, a friend of mine had lost his job in the Register Star because, you know, technology killed newspapers. And he had one day left um, at his storage facility or else he'd get charged another month. So I was driving out to the storage facility to, you know, clean it out for him. And I get a call from Sunil. And he goes, hey, I'm at, I'm at RBI's. Come have dinner with me. I said, I can't. I got I to gotta clean out this storage facility or the guy's going to get charged another month. He goes, where are you in town? I said, I'm on Harrison. He goes, are you going to post office self-storage? I go, yeah. He goes, oh, I own that. I'll just make a call. We'll give him another month. Come on, have dinner with me. And I'm like, you own self-storage facilities? He goes, yes, great cash business. <laughs> so that's, you know, so that's when I started thinking about all the different ways he's kind of morphed in. And, and you know, that's why I wanted to bring you in here tonight was to talk about what decisions led you down those different paths. Well, they are generally focused on real estate. They are generally focused on operational strengths that we have. They're generally focused in a limited area. I've done development from here to San Diego, and I can tell you uh, a guy from San Diego is not going to work his way through City Hall in Rockford any better than I am in San Diego. So real estate is still local. I mean, I can't even tell you how to do well in Janesville, you know, leave alone in California. And we've tried that and fallen flat on our face more times than you can imagine. So it's better to have a couple of singles here then always shoot for the home run somewhere else um, and so from here if you imagine in a 90 minute drive of Rockford is 14 million people I'd like to come home to my kids and I'd like my people to come home to their kids that's plenty that's larger than many European countries uh, so we can do a lot just living right in the center focus and that is Rockford's strength all right, gentlemen, thanks very much for your time. Uh, we will be back with you at the next Thinker What's Works podcast. 